In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. David, our fugitive hero, finds refuge in a cave and about 400 men join him. That is, until the prophet Gad told him to return to Judah. Meanwhile, Saul, our paranoid king, slaughtered innocent priests who helped David, but one survivor joins David's band. But David blames himself for the bloodshed and vows to protect the priest. Good morning and blessed Pentecost season. Today is Monday, May 29th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. LHF is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. You can visit them online at lhfmissions.org to learn more about their translating and publishing work. Well, this morning, to help us discern and divide 1 Samuel chapter 22, please join me in welcoming my guest, the Reverend Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Good morning, Pastor Eckstein, and blessings to you this uh, this Pentecost season we've just begun. Yes, uh, blessings to you. It's good to be back. Well, excellent. We're going to go into, uh, let's see here, David has just fled from Gath. He's hiding out in a cave. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we dive into our text, though, would you start our time together off with prayer? Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we dive into this part of your Holy Scriptures and learn about uh, David and uh, how he was fleeing uh, from Saul for his life. And as we learn about uh, the priests who were killed for simply being faithful, Lord, help us to realize that that when you do allow us uh, to suffer for doing what is right, uh, that you have not abandoned us, but that we can always be certain of your forgiveness and love uh, in Jesus, and that uh, when we do suffer for following you, it is a privilege, and that we have certain hope even in the face of death itself. So uh, comfort us with these promises as we study your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, David had just fled from Gath, but perhaps uh, those who are listening may not have caught the whole narrative up to this point. Uh, Maybe just go back a little bit, not all the way to the beginning, of course, that'd be so much, but just catch our people up in case they missed the last episode on, uh, on where we've come from and how we got to where we are today. Yes, well, of course, you know, uh, we know Saul is uh, out to kill David, even though God has made it very clear that he has rejected Saul and wants to uh, appoint David as king. Uh, Here we see uh, Saul just continuing to harden his heart. Uh, In 1 Samuel 20, uh, we find out that uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, warns David of his uh, father's plot to kill him. And Saul gets very angry with his son when he uh, realizes he's siding with David. And then uh, David flees, and uh, if you look at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 21, you you see that David uh, eventually ends up uh, meeting with Ahimelech and the other priests in uh, a city known as Nob. And uh, this is important because in our text today, we're going to find out what happens to these priests from Nob. Uh, And then uh, after his time in Nob, uh, as you mentioned, he flees to Gath, where uh, he actually pretends to be insane, uh, to avoid uh, um, uh, being uh, found out, and uh, uh, eventually uh, leaves Gath. 
And that brings us to the beginning of today's chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 22, where it says David departed from there, referring to Gath, and then escapes to the cave of Adullam. And then we pick up from from that point on. Well, let's do that. Why don't we go ahead and start? I'm just going to read the first five verses, get uh, get us into the cave here with David and the malcontents that have joined him. Uh, starting with verse 1, here we go. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold, depart, and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. All right, so a lot of things happen in just these short five uh, verses here. Yeah. But he, he escapes to this cave, and um, it seems like the people who are gathering around David are the outcasts of society yeah. in some way, which, you know, I definitely don't want to jump the gun too much. But boy, that just can't—you um, just have to think of Jesus with the people who he gathered unto himself when he was on earth. Exactly. And then not only were the outcasts, um, but the very fact that they were willing to follow David, you know, uh, made them enemies of Saul, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, we, we know how uh, Saul had these murderous threats against David. So to, associate, to align yourself with David was taking a great risk. And, and we think of what, you know, Jesus says in the Gospels, you know, if, if the head of the household is being persecuted, how much uh, uh, those who follow him? And and so you know, not only were they uh, uh, agreeing with God that David was the anointed, but by aligning themselves with them, they, they were putting themselves under Saul's wrath. And and uh, Jesus points that out in the Gospels too. You know, following him may result in us, you know, being persecuted by those who hate Jesus. And uh, and yet they continue to follow David and and trust the Lord. Yeah, I mean, basically, they're making themselves enemies of the state, and and you know, by trying to uh, side with uh, David over the king. And what a great connection you make in terms of when we side with Christ over the world, that can often put us—well, not often, but almost always—puts us at enmity with the world, which is just as the Bible describes it. And there are four hundred of them. He becomes the commander over them. So it really is David. Here we have the anointed future king of Israel, and he's he's like a, a militia commander, if you if you think of it in those terms. Uh, it just it feels very unauthorized. It feels very, uh, I guess, um, I don't know what the word I'm using looking for here, but it just it just doesn't seem like what you would expect from the one that God has anointed to be king. He's in exile, uh, literally. Right. And um, now we're going to find out later, I don't want to steal the thunder from future episodes, but we're going to find out later that, you know, when David has an opportunity to kill Saul, he doesn't because he, he, he respects that Saul, even though God has rejected him, he's still king, and, and he shows respect for that. 
but but even though here in, in chapter 22 it, it feels like David is is uh, you know kind of uh, living as a rebel you, you have to remember Samuel has made it clear to him that that he is God's chosen to be king of Israel one day so, so it's not like David is is rejecting uh, God's will uh, as though God wanted Saul to be king and 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 David is trying to overthrow that no no David knows that that God ultimately wants him to be king and that's why Saul is trying to murder him. Uh, Saul is the one who's not following God's plan. And, and so uh, even though it appears that David is being a rebel here, he, he really is trying to seek God's will and see how God is, God is going to work all this out. And thank you. That's the word I was looking for is rebel, right? A rebellion. But as you, say, as you point out, he, he's not. He's just he's actually really playing both sides. He recognizes both what God has called him to do while at the same time respecting uh, Saul's position as king, and that's that's got to be a lesson for us today too, I think. But then David yeah. t- takes them from um, he goes there, he takes his family because his family joins them, and he goes to the king of Moab. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, he's handing over his father and his mother to stay with the king of Moab. Who who is the Moabite? Who are the Moabites? Who's the Moab king? Yeah, it's interesting. Now, we don't know all the details we'd like to know about you know, David's connection and Israel's connection with the Moabites. But what we do know is that, that, that you know, David's own ancestor, Ruth, <laughs> you know, she was right. a Moabitess, you know. And, and so there is this connection with the Moabitess and God's people, at least at the very least through David's family line. And uh, again, even though we don't know all the details here, obviously he's received by uh, the king of Moab graciously, even to the point where David is willing uh, to entrust his mother and father uh, uh, to, to uh, the king of Moab uh, to keep them safe during this time where David isn't sure how things are going to exactly play out. And but but again, it's important to remember that that David's own ancestor uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. Right. We have his great grandmother Ruth, who's a Moabitess, but at the same time, it hasn't been a few chapters ago that Saul was fighting against the enemies of the Israelites, including the Ammonites, and against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines, and against Moab. So is this a situation where the enemy of my enemy is my friend? I mean, it just seems like the Moabites being enemies of the Israelites makes it even more, I guess, striking that David's going there. Yes, of course, there's the Ruth connection, but, um, you know, do they remember Ruth? Do they remember that connection? It's just, oh, exactly. uh, just interesting. And, you know, uh, again, th- there, there's just some complicated tensions here, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the, the last thing uh, David wants to do is get cozy with those who actually hate Yahweh and hate God's people. So uh, we don't really know where, where the king of Moab is at this point. You know, even though uh, Saul was to, to go against them, you know, uh, uh, was David able to, to turn things around a bit? Maybe even David said, hey, um, you know, uh, you, you guys, you Moabites maybe need to consider Yahweh because, you know, uh, 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 my own great-grandmother, Ruth, was one of you, and she came to, to faith in, in, in our God. You know, we don't know exactly what his conversation was with them, but you're right. This is a very interesting situation where David takes refuge uh, with a nation who, you know, was, was at odds with Israel for a time. And we're introduced to Gad the prophet, right? So we do know that this is a true prophet of God. We're going to find that out more explicitly later. But here, the the prophet Gad comes to David and tells him, you know, I don't know what the connotation was here. I, I want to say, you know, well, quit hiding out, go into the land of Judah. 
but uh, we'll, we'll see what comes next. But yeah, he tells him to leave the stronghold and head into Judah. And of course he does. And he goes into Hereth, which seems to be, uh, at least from what I've studied, its own hideout for fugitives. Right. Yep. And, you know, it, interesting, not, not only does David end up in this sort of hideout area, but uh, you mentioned Gad. This is the first time we hear about him. Now, we, we'll hear about him later on. Uh, it's the same prophet that God uses to um, confront David when he arrogantly decides to count, you know, his armies. Right. And uh, oh, we also hear about Gad in, 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 in uh, Chronicles as well. But this is the first time uh, we hear of him here at this point. And uh, uh, all we know is, is that God uses Gad to tell David to, to not stay in Moab, but uh, to go to this place called Horeb, as you said, was sort of a, um, a, a hideout for, for, for those uh, who were, uh, you know, having troubles for whatever reason. And I don't want to make too much of it, but we remember way back when Saul first became king and Samuel and Saul basically split ways. Saul wasn't one who was really going to listen to God's prophet. And so we have Gad and Gad, we don't know a ton about him, but he's going to show up again and again, essentially as like a personal prophet to King David for good and for bad, calls him to account when he's supposed to. And David, for the most part, heeds that call. So it's just another distinction between the way that David yeah. is going to lead, despite all his faults and foibles, and the way Saul has been leading. Absolutely. We even think how, you know, uh, later on, uh, when, when David is guilty of adultery and, uh, and uh, even murder uh, indirectly, you know, he's confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan. Uh, but th- that distinction there again, David acknowledges his sin and repents, whereas unfortunately right. Saul does not do that. So we, we see that distinction there. Well, let's add some verses, verses 6 through 10. Here we go. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in hand, and all his servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Amilek, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of Yahweh for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Okay, so I stumbled there a little bit. Sorry about that. But yeah, we, we see in this text that once Saul, meanwhile, basically, Saul hears about all this and he's really he's really chastising all of his servants, I guess, thinking that, um, you know, why aren't people telling me this? He's very paranoid. Right. And if we're wondering, well, how, how did Saul find out about this? Well, you, when you were reading, you mentioned Doeg the Edomite. Well, it's interesting when you look in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, when David is in Nob with the priests there, it, it's also mentioned that, oh, and by the way, this, this guy named Doeg the Edomite happened to be there too. 
and 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 it, the implication is that David is a little bit concerned about this. It's like, okay, can I trust this guy? Well, uh, obviously he can't, because uh, it's very likely that it was Doeg, uh, the Edomite, who went to Saul and said, "Hey, I uh, saw David in Nob, and the and the and the priests there helped him." And so here we see that this is mentioned here when when Saul is now um, getting ready to uh, confront uh, the the priests of Nob. Right. I mean, we have—he's described as the Edomite. Of course, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, right? Israel's most hated enemies. Saul had waged war against them. So whether, uh, you know, Doeg is a prisoner of war or what, regardless, he is the royal shepherd by chapter 21. And you're right, here he right. is showing up again, just as you would expect. And it almost lends credence to the idea that whether or not he was an Edomite— Calling him an Edomite might be a way of just describing his character, Doeg the right. Edomite. He could have not been an Edomite at all. But yes, he shows up here. He's the guy. He's the one who who let the cat out of the bag. And, and, and of course, we are here. He tells about how he got provisions. But then, of course, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, which is not only a formidable weapon, but it represents, I guess, the beginning of the end for King Saul, right? That's what David got when he first won the hearts of the people. Um, exactly. Uh, and, and so it's very representative of what Saul sees as an outright rebellion against him. Exactly. And it's interesting, uh, he, when he confronts these priests, it's almost like he, he wants to know, he, he's drawing a line in the sand, uh, are you with David or are you with me? Right. Uh, did, did you help him because you think he's going to be king and make you commanders and give you all this stuff? Or, or, or do you, don't you realize I'm the king and I'm the only one who can really give you this stuff? I mean, he's really drawing a line in the sand here. He's basically, uh, you know, uh, telling them, uh, you need to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. <laughs> right. And, um, and, and we find out that, that in a bit here, when you read, we're going to find out the very fact that, um, you know, Ahimelech and the other priests helped David is enough to convince Saul that, okay, I can't trust them. Uh, so uh, things are going to go badly for them, and we'll find out what happens. Yes, we will. But before that, I do want to bring up one more thing, too, that I just thought of as you were talking. Um, it spurred from what you were saying. You know, he said, yeah, are you guys going, is he going to make you commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds? Is he going to give you fields and vineyards? Uh, what I think is interesting about that is that look at what Saul sees as um, as enticing, right? It's power, it's wealth, yes. it's possessions. And so even those who are following after David, are some expecting this? Oh yeah, probably. But there, I'm sure there are plenty who also recognize that Yahweh is on David's side, and that is why they're following David. And they're not yeah. following Saul, not because he can't give them those things, but because, well... Saul has demonstrated himself to be an unfaithful king. So it is uh, just, I, I guess, an interesting juxtaposition between what Saul thinks is important, and he can't even see that David's not having to promise those things in order to get loyalty, because that's the way Saul works, not David. In fact, I, it makes me even think of uh, one of the devil's temptations of our Lord in the wilderness. You know, hey, you know, follow me, worship me, and I'll give you all this stuff. 
And, uh, and, and so you almost see that satanic way of looking at things from Saul. It's like, okay, you know, I can do all this for you. Uh, but uh, we, we will see the priests are saying, well, no, uh, we would rather worship Yahweh and serve him only, even if that means not having all the treasures of this world. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we see, uh, you know, the heart of evil here in Saul. He, he just doesn't uh, see things from God's perspective. Uh, indeed. All right, well, let's read verses 11 through 16. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest of the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread? and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait, as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, and captive over, captain over your guard, bodyguard, and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant, or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Now we're going to pause right there before the king takes the action. But a couple things stand out to me, and it's not the most important thing, but the thing that stands out to me the most, I'm afraid, is he says, um, uh, who, who has given uh, David bread and a sword. <laughs> he downplays the fact that this is Goliath's sword, which I just think is a, a little humorous because obviously it's Goliath's sword that's really important. Uh, but it's like I, I don't want to hear that name, Goliath. Don't yeah, mention it. <laughs> exactly, you know, uh, and, and that's exactly it. It's just who's given him a sword. But the other thing too is it's interesting how he refers to David frequently as the son of Jesse, and here. Um, he refers to the priest as the son of Ahitub or Ahitub. Um, right. Is, is this why is he doing this? I wonder. You know, it, it, it's hard to know exactly what his intentions were, but it's almost like he, he's so upset with these guys, he doesn't even want to give them the the respect to mention them by name. So you know, rather than saying David, well, you know, he's the son of Jesse. Uh, or, you know, Ahimelech, he won't mention him by name either, but only that he's, uh, you know, somebody's son. And uh, so th there's this way of, 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 of Saul trying to uh, depersonalize them and distance himself from them. And, um, and, uh, but a couple other interesting things in these uh, verses 11 through 16. Um, first of all, um, and uh, we notice uh, in, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel that the tabernacle is apparently in Nob. And, and, and the reason that's important is, 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 is we see through 1 Samuel and, and, and into 2 Samuel that, that the tabernacle seems to have a journey. You know, earlier in, in 1 Samuel, uh, it's in, in Shiloh, and then after all the, 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 the war and destruction that goes on there, uh, it, it apparently leaves. And, and according to earlier in 1 Samuel, it, it, it appears at least that it ends up in Geigel for a while. But now here we see in First Samuel chapter 21, it, it apparently has, you know, we don't know all the ins and outs, but apparently it ends up in Nob in that area. Uh, now later we, we see it'll end up in Gibeon. And then, of course, once, uh, you know, Solomon is uh, 
uh, king in the future, we have the temple in Jerusalem. But for now, it's in Nob. But but another thing here, and this is a, a mystery we can talk about here a little bit, but we're going to see that, that Ahimelech and all the priests uh, are ultimately end up being killed for being faithful. But what's interesting is that this ends up being a fulfillment of something that that Samuel talks about all the way in 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 First Samuel chapter two, where 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 God uses Samuel to tell Eli, the priest at that time, that because of his unfaithfulness, because of his refusal to rebuke rebuke his son's sinful behavior, that Eli's household in the future will will ultimately be destroyed. Well, we see that happening here now in First Samuel chapter twenty two. Indeed. Well, so we're going to take a break, though, before we keep on going, because we're right here uh, at the bottom of the hour. But when we come back, folks, don't go anywhere. The pastor and I will continue on looking through and exploring 1 Samuel 22. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Thank you for joining us this morning. I pray that God blesses you through our study. If you know someone who might like the show, be sure to let them know that they can tune in over the air in St. Louis on AM 850, or listen live or on demand at kfuo.org, or they can hear the program as a podcast on KFUO's own mobile app or on their favorite podcasting platform. Another great way to tune in is using your smart speaker. Just ask it to tune in to KFUO Radio. As always, I'm available to answer any question you have or to hear your feedback at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just drop by and say hello. Thanks for being loyal listeners. Now back to the Bible. Well, Pastor Eckstein, right before the break, we got just to the point where the king is saying that um, the priests shall surely die, uh, specific, sorry, talking specifically to Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Before we get into 17 and what happens next, uh, anything else you want the people to know before we move forward? Well, j- just as a reminder, before the break, I mentioned how uh, uh, this this massacre of the priest from Nob uh, ends up being the fulfillment of the prophecy that Samuel gave to Eli, the priest, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where because of Eli's sin, he said that his, his future household w- would eventually be eliminated from the priestly line. And um, we can talk more about w- w- what this all means. I mean, it's like, wow, here, here the priests of Nob are being faithful, 
and they're being massacred because of something their ancestor did. I mean, we can talk more about that in a bit. But but that that's uh, in the background here when we see what's going to happen in the uh, upcoming verses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's true. And, and actually, I had neglected to remember that, so that I'm glad you brought that up. So let's listen to these next verses, especially with that in mind. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of Yahweh, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of Yahweh. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day eighty-five persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. Let's pause right there at the end of verse 19. So, I think what really stands out to me is just the language here. Yes, he's mad, but their hand is with David, but David is the anointed future king. And kill the priests of Yahweh? I mean, he even calls them, the, he doesn't call them traitors, he doesn't call them you know, unfaithful priests or conniving, conspiring priests. He calls them the priests of Yahweh. So you're, right. you're right, we have two sides to look at this from. One... Yahweh, or well, Yahweh through uh, Samuel, prophesied this would happen, while at the, and it is punishment against Eli. But at the same time, you have the king who God put in place there, who God had already rejected since then, is now turning against the priest of Yahweh. It just, it, if nothing else, it shows us the complexity and the absurdity of our, our sins. Absolutely. And, you know, one way we can look at this is we think, okay, Saul is in the wrong here, and yet God uses Saul to fulfill the prophecy that Samuel gave to Eli, that his descendants would finally be taken out of the priestly line. Uh, I think of how God used the sinful nation of Babylon to discipline his his people, uh, Judah, who had strayed from him. But there's a distinction. In, in this case, the priests of Nob are not being disciplined because they themselves had sinned. If anything, they're being faithful, but but they're being uh, killed in fulfillment of the prophecy that Samuel gave to Eli uh, because of his sin. And, you know, this is one of those things where I kind of scratch my head and you finally have to say, you know, God is God. You know, we trust him even though we understand his ways. But I've often thought, boy, oh boy, I, I hope God doesn't nail me because one of my ancestors sinned. Right. right. <laughs> but but that kind of is what's going on here. And so here's part of the mystery. On the one hand, Scripture is being fulfilled in that the prophecy against Eli's future uh, descendants is now um, coming true in that God uses Saul to destroy Eli's priestly family line. And yet at the same time, uh, these priests of Nob are not being punished for their uh, an actual sin against God, if if anything, they're they're suffering for being faithful to the Lord, uh, and so so they're not being you know punished specifically for any particular sin they've done. They're they're actually suffering as a result of being faithful to God, and so we have both and going on here. Uh, you know, we have God fulfilling a prophecy and uh, His discipline of Eli. But we also have the priests of Nob who are suffering for actually being faithful to the Lord, and, and both are true. And, and if we scratch our heads and can't make sense of it, we just finally have to say, well, 
God's ways are not our ways. We have to trust him. Well, yes, exactly. There are many answers to questions that we can't bear, and we'll just leave it in God's keeping. But yeah, you're right. Way back in chapter 2, verse 31, we hear, Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And that day has come. And 85 persons who wore the linen ephod, um, I guess that's 85 people associated or in the house of Ahitub, going back all the way to Eli. Um, I guess the question is, you know, this isn't saying, or I guess I should say, this isn't saying anything about their salvation, which I think sometimes people confuse. And I think right. that's something we can get at, too. Yes, they their lives have been come to an end because of what Saul has done, but... Um, and perhaps through no sin of their own, um, but they've also died as martyrs. <laughs> so right. it, it's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess we probably shouldn't dwell on that too much because it's hard to get our minds around it. Oh, it is. It is. And and this is a good example where you know finally we we uh, we trust the Lord, even though our circumstances seem to suggest uh, that He's not being faithful to His promises. A good example would be when when God told Abraham. Hey, you remember that son Isaac I gave you, the, 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 the guy who will be in the family line of the Messiah? Yeah, kill him. <laughs> right. You know, and, 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 and what did we learn from the New Testament? Abraham believed, well, uh, God will just have to raise him from the dead then. I, I don't understand why he's asking me to do this, but I refuse to believe that God would lie. And so in, in these circumstances, even though the, I'm sure the priests of Nob, maybe even they knew uh, about that prophecy given in the past, to Samuel, uh, I mean, by Samuel to, to Eli. Maybe they even knew about that. They're wondering, you know, will, will, will we be that generation that is, you know, brought to an end? But but that doesn't stop them from trusting God. I think of what Job said, even if the Lord slay me, yet will I trust in him. And so you, you, you have uh, uh, prophecy against Eli being fulfilled here, and yet we also have the priests of Nob dying as faithful martyrs. Um, trusting in their Lord. And of course, the only one who survives, we're going to read about this, the only one who survives is Abiathar. And we know that eventually down the road, he's taken out too, but at least at this point, we're going to see he survives. Well, and this is a prophecy is proleptically fulfilled a couple times, right? Because it was essentially fulfilled when Eli's sons died in battle, but not completely. Right. And then it gets fulfilled here again, but not completely. And as you said, I think they did know that this was a prophecy against them, but they're probably always holding off for, well, hopefully that happens to the next generation. Hopefully right, exactly. that comes to pass next time. But another bit of, I guess, well, not flat out irony here is that way back in chapter 15, um, we see in, uh, well, right at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Saul has been told uh, by Samuel from God that he is to go out and uh, destroy the uh, Amalekites, and he is to devote to destruction all they have, and quote, yes. do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And, and Saul, if we recall that episode or recall that chapter, he didn't do that. He spared the king. He spared some of the, the choice uh, cattle and that sort of thing. He did not follow God's command, and that's when Yahweh ended up rejecting Saul. And now we have the exact same language being used by this yes. pagan mercenary who's obliterated God's anointed priest, and he's done that very thing to this city. 
So it's yeah. It's I an mean, ironic uh, here term. this pagan this pagan Edomite does what Saul was supposed to do right. <laughs> against the enemies of God in the past. It's very ironic, and uh, and also we wonder how did he go about it because we're we're told that the servants of the king would not put their hands to the priests. They respected the office of the priests. Uh, so they, they were taking a risk by saying no to their king, you know, and um, and then it says that then then Doag the Edomite does this. Now we wonder exactly how he did this. You know, it, it, does that mean he alone went out and did all this? I'm not so sure. Uh, the question is who helped him? You know, were, were the, the servants of the king willing to, to hold the people while Doeg actually did the, the killing? Or did Doeg round up some other people to help him do that? We, we don't know. But but we do know at the very least the servants of the king were not going to actually kill the priests themselves. And Doeg ends up uh, doing that. And, and not just the priests. But the women, the children, the the the, the donkeys, everything. Uh, he, he really takes this to an extreme. But again, like you said, the irony is that he does what what Saul was unwilling to do, even though God had commanded him to do it with the Amalekites. But you do bring up something interesting, which is you know Doeg didn't go out there single handedly and do all this. I mean, the number of people killed. We know there are eighty five priests. Interestingly enough, the Septuagint has three hundred and five priests. And the Jewish historian Josephus writes 385 priests. Uh, most people think there's just a scribal error in those traditions, which is probably the case. But I almost wonder if maybe some of those greater numbers came about because they're including all the people in that city. Regardless, it's one go. man against hundreds, assumedly. No, he's he's got his own little band of, of, of actors, I'm sure, that will follow his command. And he, that might be another reason why he has uh, some sort of sway with the king, too. Regardless of how he came into the kingdom, this is a guy who knows how to get things done, and the king probably has used him as a cleaner on many different issues. But I, it is interesting, and you bring it up, and I don't want to gloss over it, how the servants refuse to strike the priests of Yahweh. Um, right. Refusing a command by the king is huge. Not yeah. following orders is huge. Even in our common day, you know, uh, say soldiers are, or, or I should say military people, whether soldiers or sailors or guardians or whatever, they are required to follow all lawful orders. And this is an example back then, there would have been no caveat. You had to follow all the orders, whether you thought they were lawful or not. But they refused. They obeyed God rather than man. Um, and so I think these unnamed servants really deserve to be highlighted for their bravery. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't know exactly, uh, at least in, in this chapter, it doesn't say uh, how, how Saul ends up planning to deal with them. But, but boy, they were taking a big risk. I mean, by defying their king, we, we already see how Saul is very willing to fly off the handle you know they they were they, they were taking their lives in their own hands. I I, I immediately think of of you know in in the book of Daniel uh, the 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 Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. You know uh, they were willing to face a fiery furnace rather than you know uh, reject God. And 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 here we see these these servants of Saul. Um, they're they're ultimately servants of Yahweh. They 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 they, they realize who their true king is. And they're they're not willing to go against Yahweh by killing his priests. Mm -hmm. So uh, that says something about willing to be faithful, even though you might have to suffer horribly for it. That's right. The worst thing Saul could do to them is take their earthly life, <laughs> right. and that's nothing right. compared to eternity. 
Well, let's look at the rest of our chapter, which is verses 20 through 23. Only a few verses, but there's a lot in there. Here we go. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of Yahweh. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Um, lots of stuff there, but let's just start at the top. Uh, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, Abiathar, I didn't look at the Hebrew, so I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but we see here that uh, this one escapes. That's also in fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? Yes, yes. And as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, even though he, he survives, he, he's still in the, the priestly line of Eli, and, and we find out later uh, in, in David's reign, he is is replaced as priest. So the 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 the, the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that prophecy from Samuel to Eli will eventually be fulfilled when Abiathar is taken out of the priestly line. But for now, he survived. And and another interesting thing, I, I I feel for David at this point. I mean, he's going through hard enough times. But right now, it's almost like he has immense guilt when he says, "Oh, I knew on that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul." It's almost like, "Oh man." These guys, all these guys died because of me, you know. And uh, so, uh, I mean, even though he knows he's God's anointed, even though he knows that the priests did what they did because they trusted God, he can't help but feel a a bit of guilt and and remorse at this point uh, over this whole thing. So it's like, okay, well, these guys (laughs) died because of me, so the least I can do now is try to uh, protect Abiathar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he feels incredible guilt and culpability in it all. And it's I think that's part of the character of David. But it also, again, like so many things we're told about David, stands in contrast to Saul. Saul, for whom it is everybody else's fault but him, even when he is directly responsible. And here, David, who I I don't think a, a jury would convict him, right? He's not really responsible. He just feels responsible, yet it shows his maturity and his spiritual maturity that he recognizes that because he's the leader, the, the buck stops with him, right? Things that happen, um, happen. If he, he, if he had insight that this could have changed, if he would have made a different decision or done something differently, then he takes that responsibility, whether he really deserves it or not. You know, I, I can't help but think of some horrible dictators throughout history who, and, and Saul being one of them, but even in modern history, you know, uh, uh, dictators who were willing to send men into battle, but couldn't have cared less about their lives, just saw them as pawns in their selfish plans of, right. of gaining power. Uh, but David isn't like that, as you said. Um, he, 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 he doesn't see uh, these priests or others uh, as just pawns whose lives he does not care for just so he can get his own power, but, but he grieves over the fact that these godly men had to die. So, so we here we see David is now thinking about you know how, how this is all about me. 
uh, like Saul is. But but David is realizing, you know, God wants me to be the anointed. I could almost imagine David saying, God, I didn't ask for this. You know, <laughs> I I don't necessarily want to be your anointed, if, especially if I have to go through all of this. But but David is willing to be faithful uh, because he trusts the Lord. It, it's not about him. It's about God. Yeah. Of course, and the, and we also see here when this this guy Abiathar, you know, he's the son of Amih. Let's see here. Yes, the son of Amal Ahimelech, the son of Ahitob, named Abiathar. Right. Okay. Just trying to get that straight. Well, he he fulfills prophecy in a different way too, because you know we've been talking a little bit about chapter two, uh, but in chapter two, verse thirty three, it says, "The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar." shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. In many ways, that's fulfilled here too. You know, he, yes. is, he is spared to be a witness to God's judgment, to speak of that later. As you, t- as you mentioned already, it will come to pass the full removal of his household from the, from the priesthood. But, but we see here the priest being attacked by the king, we see here the uh, David himself being attacked by the king. There are so many correlations and so much typology that points forward to what Christ himself endured and, of course, what the church in the name of Christ continues to endure as the priests and, and, and uh, church continues to suffer under the hands of those who, who want to be in charge in this world and not, and not give Yahweh his, his due. In fact, I just want to say, even though we're not given all the details of, of what was going on in their hearts and minds, I can't help but think that, that they really did believe that, that even facing suffering and death itself for Yahweh, it, it wasn't like just this you know, hopeless despair, um, like, well, uh, there's no hope, uh, I'm just you know, part of this fatalism. No, I think there was trust in the fact that we're trusting in the God who can raise the dead. Because I, I think of how in the book of Hebrews it talks about how how Moses was was uh, uh, and others were willing to be faithful to, to Yahweh. All right, you know when I think of of Abiathar and and David and and all that they were willing to to face, um, I don't believe that they were doing this without hope, uh, as though God had abandoned them. Uh, I think of what David says at the end of Psalm twenty three: "I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Or in the book of Hebrews it talks about all the Old Testament saints being willing to be faithful to Christ because they were looking forward to a better resurrection. And so I can't help but think that as hard as this was for David and, and these faithful priests at Nob, they finally knew that uh, if they trusted in, in Yahweh, even death could not separate them from the eternal hope they had in him. Uh, they, they, they knew there was hope beyond death itself. I think that's a great point. You know, I can't speak for the people of the city of Nob, but in terms of the 85 priests— we asked, you know, how can one man strike down all these priests? And I, part of it has to be the, they didn't put up any resistance. I mean, yeah. the, you know, they, they kind of knew the prophecy. They knew what was coming, but they also trusted in the Lord. They trusted in the promises of God, just as David does here, just as David encourages these people with. However, David says something which, and it ends the chapter, and I guess I, maybe you can help me understand it, or maybe it's just as humorous as I think it is. But he says, stay with me, don't be afraid, because the same guy who's wanting to kill you wants to kill me. So with me, you'll be safe. 
That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, it's like if the guy who's after you is after me, then we'll just band together. Well, yeah, but then that doesn't make you any safer, I don't think, except I suppose um, what he's saying is if you stay with me and my militia, my men, at this point there's hundreds more than what we started at the top of the chapter. Uh, we learn that in the next chapter. But we, we, yeah. we find that, um, yeah, that's what he's really saying. But it is kind of a weird statement, like, you know, just stick with me and we'll be fine because the same guy is mad at both of us. But there does seem to be a contingent that's turning against Saul. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, who knows exactly what, what David was thinking, but maybe he was just trying to let Abiathar know, hey, you picked the right side. You know, uh, I am ultimately God's anointed. And so, you know, however this turns out, you're being faithful to God. And, and that's the ultimate safety. You know, and, uh, you know, however this turns out, if, if you're following the Lord, uh, you know, you have have security, unlike Saul, who uh, he may, maybe he has temporary comfort in this life. But if you, you reject Yahweh, you're really not safe. I think of Jesus talking about the world hanging you for his name's sake. Right. So if the world is against you, then don't worry. Don't worry about it. It was against me first. Um, right. And as I see that same kind of language here. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our chapter. Anything else that you want the people to take home with from this chapter or anything else you want to say before we end the show? I think, you know, a after I was preparing for this study and, and reading chapter 22 of First Samuel and all these ways of God that honestly I can't wrap my head around, uh, what, what does come through, uh, I, you mentioned how it's a little funny and even ironic, but with me you shall be in safekeeping. I can't help right. but think of how Jesus says that to us in the midst of, of things we can't understand. You know, well, why is God allowing me to suffer, especially since I've been trying to be faithful to him? You know, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Uh, with me, you shall be in safekeeping, and not even death can take that away from you. And I think that's what we have to take from this. Yeah, that is such a, a beautiful connection and certainly a good way to end the program today. Uh, folks, I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Yeah, my privilege. Well, folks, tomorrow when we get back together, we're going to continue into Chapter 23. Faced with the opportunity to kill more Philistines, David rescues the city of Keilah. However, he learns that Saul is in pursuit, so he flees from there, thereby diverting Saul's wrath on his troops as well as the city. We're going to learn more about that and, uh, well, hopefully some more things <laughs> when we get back together tomorrow. So, folks, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us and die strong. <laughs>